If you notice, in the first month of the new mayor, crime is up 40%. We've had six cops shot, unfortunately two who died. And we thought it was bad with de Blasio for eight years. Eric Adams stopped styling and profiling, cracked down on crime, arrest people with guns in the street, mandatory one year, get the undercover units out there because they know how to make arrests, and put the pressure on your prosecutors who want to hug those thugs and turn them loose. He's got to start acting mayoral. He's got to start cracking down on crime. You know, these Democrats are going to have to own these policies about defund the police. The people who are getting the most affected are their constituents. And I don't think that there, there's a reason why pro-military former law enforcement officers are coming out of the woodwork to run for office. Look at Derek Van Orden in Wisconsin, Ryan Zeke in Montana. I hope Morgan Ortegas runs in Tennessee, Ken Paxton, Texas, all over the country. We need law and order candidates. And you just saw today, I believe, George Soros sunk $125 million into these Democrat races. Americans are sick of it. This isn't Republican, Democrat. This is right, wrong, good, bad, morality versus evil, keeping our police officers safe, their families safe, our streets safe, our kids safe. That's what this is about. And America's ready to take back America. Manhattan's District Attorney Alvin Bragg is giving a pass to misdemeanors, waiving pretrial detention for most crimes other than homicide. In a sweeping memo earlier this week, Bragg said his office will downgrade many felonies to misdemeanors and will not prosecute marijuana possessions, trespassing, resisting arrest, and prostitution, just to name a few. Additionally, Bragg's office will only seek pretrial detention for murder, certain violent felony and sex offenses, and public corruption cases. DAs will seek no more than 20 years in prison for any crime and never ask for life without parole. Go back 35 years, you saw sort of increased um, uh, incarceration with not uh, necessarily leading to public safety benefits. The sweeping new policies come as New York City experiences soaring crime rates. NYPD statistics show that shootings, murders, and auto grand larceny have all doubled, while murders up 50% compared to 2019. For victims' right advocate Jennifer Harrison, New Yorkers should brace for a crime wave unlike any other. Alvin Bragg is paving the way for an even bigger bloodbath in New York City than what we have already seen. And let's, let's face it, last year was pretty violent. I mean, over 21 children were lost to violent crime, and that's just in New York City alone. Uh, it, it's disgusting what he's doing. New York City's police union president said these policies send the message that people can commit crimes and resist arrest without consequence. And police officers don't want to be sent out to enforce laws that the district attorney won't prosecute. There's nothing wrong with saying you want to decrease the the amount of people in our prisons. There's nothing wrong with saying uh, you want to exercise stronger discretion in who we send to prison. Uh, but there are some people out there who are committing violent felonies. According to reports, George Soros donated $1 million to Bragg's 2021 campaign. So handing get out of free jail cards as his first act in office will most likely be part of the course. On Monday, Bragg dropped the investigation into former Governor Andrew Cuomo over allegations he mishandled nursing homes during the initial coronavirus outbreak. And for him to stand up yesterday with other socialists advocating the release of more violent recidivists under parole reform, such as elder parole, the day after he decided to drop the investigation into Governor Cuomo's uh, mass murder of over 16,000 people pretending to care about elderly now, I mean, it's laughable. Zach Peterson, One American News. Want to see more videos like this? Visit OANN.
If you notice, in the first month of the new mayor, crime is up 40%. We've had six cops shot, unfortunately, two who died. And we thought it was bad with de Blasio for eight years. Eric Adams stopped styling and profiling, crackdown on crime, arrest people with guns in the street, mandatory one year, get the undercover units out there because they know how to make arrests, and put the pressure on your prosecutors who want to hug those thugs and turn them loose. He's got to yeah. start acting mayoral. He's got to start cracking down on crime. You know, these Democrats are going to have to own these policies about defund the police. The people who are getting the most affected are their constituents. And I don't think that there, there's a reason why pro-military former law enforcement officers are coming out of the woodwork to run for office. Look at Derek Van Orden in Wisconsin, Ryan Zeke in Montana. I hope Morgan Ortega runs in Tennessee, Ken Paxton, Texas, all over the country. We need law and order candidates. And you just saw today, I believe, George Soros sunk $125 million into these Democrat races. Americans are sick of it. This isn't Republican, Democrat. This is right, wrong, good, bad, morality versus versus evil, keeping our police officers safe, their families safe, our streets safe, our kids safe. That's what this is about. And America's ready to take back America. Manhattan's District Attorney Alvin Bragg is giving a pass to misdemeanors, waiving pretrial detention for most crimes other than homicide. In a sweeping memo earlier this week, Bragg said his office will downgrade many felonies to misdemeanors and will not prosecute marijuana possessions, trespassing, resisting arrest, and prostitution, just to name a few. Additionally, Bragg's office will only seek pretrial detention for murder, certain violent felony and sex offenses, and public corruption cases. DAs will seek no more than 20 years in prison for any crime and never ask for life without parole. Go back 35 years, you saw sort of increased um, uh, incarceration with not uh, necessarily leading to public safety benefits. The sweeping new policies come as New York City experiences soaring crime rates. NYPD statistics show that shootings, murders, and auto grand larceny have all doubled while murder is up 50% compared to 2019. For victims' right advocate Jennifer Harrison, New Yorkers should brace for a crime wave unlike any other. Alvin Bragg is paving the way for an even bigger bloodbath in New York City than what we have already seen. And let's, let's face it, last year was pretty violent. I mean, over 21 children were lost to violent crime, and that's just in New York City alone. Uh, it, it's disgusting what he's doing. New York City's police union president said these policies send the message that people can commit crimes and resist arrest without consequence. And police officers don't want to be sent out to enforce laws that the district attorney won't prosecute. There's nothing wrong with saying you want to decrease the amount of people in our prisons. There's nothing wrong with saying uh, you want to exercise stronger discretion in who we send to prison. Uh, but there are some people out there who are committing violent felonies. According to reports, George Soros donated $1 million to Bragg's 2021 campaign. So handing get-out-of-free-jail cards as his first act in office will most likely be par for the course. On Monday, Bragg dropped the investigation into former Governor Andrew Cuomo over allegations he mishandled nursing homes during the initial coronavirus outbreak. And for him to stand up yesterday with other socialists advocating the release of more violent recidivists under parole reform, such as elder parole, the day after he decided to drop the investigation into Governor Cuomo's uh, mass murder of over 16,000 people pretending to care about elderly now, I mean, is laughable. Zach Peterson, One American News. Want to see more videos like this? Visit OANN.
Donald Trump is probably going to be going on Joe Rogan pretty soon. And a, a preview of that would probably be the interview he had with a full send podcast. I don't know how long this is going to last here on Spotify because they don't like it when you put the Donald on. So I'm going to try and put this on here without labeling it too clearly as to what it's about. But anyway, here's the Donald talking about how what happened and what is happening in Ukraine now would have never happened under his administration. Had Trump been in office, he said this just would not happen, nor would the pullout in Afghanistan happen the way it would have done. In fact, Trump believes that everything that happened in Afghanistan is the primary reason that you're seeing all the problems in the world today, because Joe Biden is just not capable of running an administration, defending a country, or being president. In fact, he's a puppet, not a president, is what Trump says about Biden. Uh, if the election, if we were running, if you had the Trump administration in there, there would be no war, number one. Yeah. And number two, uh, energy prices would have been down. War or no war, they would have been very low because we were dominant. We were becoming, uh, I call it energy dominance. We were dominant in energy and getting more so by the day. Well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't there have been a war because you were in office? No, because I understood Putin. I talked to Putin. I spoke to him about Ukraine and I said, don't do it. And I won't go into the exact conversation, but uh, under certain uh, uh, certain people asked, I'll tell them exactly what the conversation was. But we look weak. We look stupid. Mm -hmm. We look like we don't know what we're doing. And nobody's ever seen the country like this. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, it really began not only with a horrible weak border, but it really began when they so incompetently withdrew from Afghanistan. I got it down to 2,000 soldiers. We were going to withdraw, but we weren't leaving $85 billion worth of equipment. We weren't leaving dead soldiers. And I spoke to the Taliban, the leader, Abdul, and I said, don't ever kill any of our soldiers. Don't ever kill one more soldier. We're going to hit you harder than you've ever been hit before. And we went 18 months without a soldier being killed, without an American being, think of it, without an American being killed in Afghanistan not Democrat-run Chicago or New York, but in Afghanistan. And 18 months, and then they did this withdrawal, which after 21 years was the right thing to do. But we were doing it. That's why we were down to 2,000 soldiers. But it was so incompetently handled between the death and the $85 billion. They have better equipment than almost any country in the world. And now Afghanistan is one of the largest seller of arms anywhere in the world because they're selling it. I was going to say, Afghanistan seems like it's overlooked at times right now. Like people forget about what's actually, what is actually the current state of Afghanistan right now? Well, I hear it's a mess. Uh, I hear we're sending a lot of money to Afghanistan, if you can believe this. Uh, they're asking for money and we're sending it. Uh, they have 700,000 uh, machine guns, guns, rifles of all types. Uh, they're selling a lot of them. They don't need that many. They don't have, there's no way they can use what we left. They have helicopters. They have planes. They're selling equipment to other countries. They're giving equipment to China and to Russia because they're going to re-engineer, de-engineer. They're going to come out with a helicopter just like our great helicopter. We have the greatest helicopters in the world. They now have them and they're going to duplicate them. Uh, Afghanistan was, I think, the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country, the way we got out. Uh, we looked like we were surrendering, which in a sense, I guess they were. Uh, 
to take the soldiers out before you take the American people out. American citizens are over there right now trying to get out. They can't. Uh, but to take the soldiers out first instead of last. First you take the people, then you may take some people from Afghanistan, not hundreds of thousands. We have no idea who we took out. We have no idea who we took out. But to we take the people and we take all the equipment. And I said, I don't want to leave a screw, a nut, a bolt. I want everything. What about the hangers, sir? Take them out. The big leather and plastic hangers with steel. I said, you take them out. You take everything out. What does that mean, take them out, though? Take them out. Take them out of the country. What you do is you take them, you take your equipment out. We left thousands and thousands of pairs of night goggles, never even unpacked, brand new, better than what we have, the latest model. Uh, all of the, I understand seven, 70,000, think of this, because who has anything? 70,000 trucks and vehicles, 70,000. There's no company in this country that has that many. And a lot of them are armor-plated, unbelievably expensive, like, you know, 10 times the cost of a vehicle itself. Uh, 70,000 vehicles we left there, trucks and other vehicles. Uh, and I, I tell you, so Putin was watching. We were all watching. You guys were watching. Mm -hmm. And the level of incompetence, and it looked like we ran the airport, the riot, the bombs going off killing our soldiers, 13 killed, but many badly wounded. You know, they don't talk about the ones with no legs and with no arms and as bad as that and worse, in a sense. I mean, some of our soldiers were so badly wounded, hurt, and nobody talks about that. We talk about the 13 dead. Uh, we talk about the unbelievable incompetence that that period, that short period of time had. But I believe that that was the beginning because Putin would have never done it with me. He would have never going to take over right. Ukraine. Do you ever talk to Putin still? No, I haven't spoken to him uh, since, but uh, he was never, ever going to, certainly under the Trump administration. And I say zero chance. I don't say like, I don't think zero chance he would have done it. And I spoke yeah. to him about it. Zero chance he would have done it. Right. So basically, uh, what, what, what uh, Donald uh, is saying is, is uh, had he still been in office at this point, gasoline wouldn't be $7 a gallon. Uh, Putin would have not invaded Ukraine. There would have been an orderly departure out of Afghanistan. They would have worked it out, found a way. And uh, a lot of things uh, are just happening in, in, in weird ways to, you know, make things worse when it doesn't need to be worse you know and, and basically you got joe biden and he's coming out and he's saying you know uh you know uh now that now, now now he wants to end all trade relations with russia absolutely nothing will be traded with russia well 70 percent of the world's fertilizers come from russia if we suddenly cut off that then where are we going to buy the fertilizer joe i mean you produce a lot of it a lot of it comes out of your spokesman's mouth you know <laughs> but it's not enough fertilizer to do the corn properly let's listen to what joe biden said he, he was on a little while ago uh, i believe somewhere and uh you know we, we could we could look at all these things that, that they say and how they want to come out and say these things but at the end of the day, 
it is so wrong to again, you know, um, do these things with, with all the things that are happening as we speak. Um, energy prices are, are, are hurting uh, American families, Ron DeSantis is saying. But let's listen to what Joe uh, Biden had to say when, when, uh, when, uh, uh, in this this report, I think this is from One American News. Let's listen to how they covered it and uh, how they put it out there with uh, all the problems in the world right now. You got to deal with this. The White House announced this morning it's revoking trade relations with Russia. One America's chief White House correspondent, Chanel Rion, has more from the White House. Going into the third week of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Biden administration has been pressured to impose more restrictive measures against Moscow, specifically to cease trade relations with Moscow. Together with other NATO allies in the G7, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, as well as the European Union, we're going to jointly announce several new steps to squeeze Putin and hold him more, even more accountable for his aggression against Ukraine. A measure pushed by bipartisan lawmakers in Congress alongside the push to ban Russian oil. Both measures, the White House at first refused to entertain. But with time and pressure, the White House caved to both, but separately, announcing the Russian oil ban Tuesday, but refusing to outright revoke trade relations. By Friday, the pressure was too much. Biden joined the G7 and EU allies in calling to revoke Russia's most favored nation status and its PNTR, Permanent Normal Trade Relations. Revoking PNTR for Russia is going to make it harder for Russia to do business with the United States and doing it in unison with other nations to make up half of the global economy will be another crushing blow to the Russian economy that's already suffering very badly from our sanctions. The White House elaborates that each country joining this call would implement restrictions based on its own processes. As for the U.S., the president's office is expected to work closely with Congress to pass legislation that would revoke Russia's PNTR with the U.S. Friday's announcement, if implemented legislatively, would put Russia's trade relations with America on par with North Korea and Cuba. While the oil ban is felt by more Americans on a daily basis, the cessation of trade relations is more symbolism than anything else. Russia is only the U.S.'s 23rd largest trade partner. Plywood, caviar, and vodka are the most substantive imports. Caviar tariffs would double from 15% to 30%. Plywood would be up by 30%, and Russian vodka would see a nearly $2 per liter tariff. The decision comes after the Biden White House felt confident the EU and G7 allies were on the same proverbial page. The EU allies have a greater impact on Russia by adopting such measures, however. The EU, as of 2019, consumed a whopping 41% of Russia's total output. Russian President Putin has lashed out at these growing sanctions, touting that Russia will only grow stronger from such measures. Putin's relationship with Beijing will likely strengthen should he continue to play the aggressor in Europe. China consumes Russian oil and only about 13% of Russia's output. Should China step into the void of trade partnership, Russia would be forced to sell its goods at steeply discounted prices. All this contingent on the World Trade Organization removing Russia's trade status. Such a proposition, however, is not guaranteed. 100 member nations would have to consent before a move could be adopted at the WTO scale. 
Chanel Vion, One American News, the White House. So you listen there to Chanel Vion. Uh, we don't, I guess a lot of the people who listen to my podcast don't really get a chance to, to listen to it. Uh, OAN or One American News is, is uh, pretty much online for the rest of the world. They're easy to find if you, if you look for it. Uh, they are a, uh, a conservative news network that you can look at. But, but generally speaking, they have been a, a pretty good source of the news and, and reporting on issues uh, here in the United States if you want to go away from the main mainstream CNN and, and others. Um, there are, of course, areas where you can always uh, look at. Now, I know a lot of times I come up and, I, and I, you know, I'm critical of, of certain views and things and, and other areas, uh, but you, you kind of often wonder you know, when, when they blame everything from inflation to uh, uh, oil prices and 100% of everything onto, um, you know, uh, all that is happening in the world uh, on, on, on Russia. Um, and and it, 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 it just has a completely different situation than, than what you're seeing and let's look at the uh, the situation on the ground in Ukraine from the other perspective the reason we're showing the other perspective uh, as reported by Russia's RT or Russia Today or Russia Television Network uh, as they visit a helicopter repair facility um, in an airfield that is servicing the attack helicopters. Uh, yeah, they're doing the same thing that CNN and Fox and other networks did during, you know, the U.S. invasion of Iraq and uh, takeover of Afghanistan um, and reporting on it from the field. So let's listen to how they report on that situation there. <laughs> From scorching enemy tanks to airlifting reinforcements to tip the balance in battle, helicopters have become a vital part of modern warfare, and Russia's campaign in Ukraine is no different. So these two Russian military helicopters have just returned from a combat raid just outside Kiev. You can see that this airfield is home to a lot of Russian birds used in this military operation in Ukraine. And also pay attention to the Panzer system. Basically, it provides air cover so that it can shoot down any missiles that might be fired towards this airfield. The moment they land, we watch personnel rush to restock the payload. The returning machines may not be needed anywhere at the moment, but it doesn't mean they don't have to be ready. And so what we have here are some brand new Igla missiles, or, well, needle. So you can still see they are in their factory packaging. They're ready to be installed on any of the helicopters based here. And what you need to know about them is that they are air-to-air, -air, so they are designed so that helicopters can shoot other aerial targets, and they are guided. In the NATO classification, they go by the name Grinch. So this is one of Russia's alligators, a combat helicopter K-52. It's just returned from the outskirts of Kiev, and new ordnance has already, almost all of it, has been installed. Now it's being refueled so that it can return to the battlefield. 
so that's basically their you know their version of uh of how we covered uh the the war in iraq and other things and and, and obviously they're presenting it from their perspective uh it is in english so it is designed primarily for a foreign audience um and and how things are going there let's dip into the live and listen to uh what is um going on um in that situation uh i'm wondering if their live stream is working because a lot of times it's being shut down especially by uh government blocks into the system uh, there are some platforms that still allow you to listen to it live or, or watch it live and see how things are going there. And I think they have. It's very handy because of its location close to the USSR. It also has plenty of test subjects. Test subjects? You mean people brought to the unit for tests? Exactly. Those people were meant to die? That's right. From tribunal questions to Kwashima Kiyoshi. A medical service major general. So basically, the reporting is uh, on biological and chemical weapons. And uh, I think it's Unit 317. Uh, there was this uh, Japanese unit in World War II that, that existed, and how uh, many of these things uh, um, uh, are, are, are being talked about. RT has. A kind of weird reputation. It, it is where a lot of different groups gather and bring out their side of arguments and whatnot. And obviously, it all has to be taken with a grain of salt. They do have a uh, different perspective on the way they present the world and how those things are talked about. In the meantime, let's listen to how Ted Cruz reacts to all of these topics. Uh, the Texas senator course has uh, his own podcast uh, called the verdict you can listen to that uh, here on spotify and on other sites but uh, i think this was at a press conference earlier today or the other day uh, i believe no this was on thursday in uh, washington dc uh texas senator ted cruz uh on march 10th um was asked about the current situation with inflation gas prices and all this and how uh he views comments made by joe biden on this whole thing we're going to leave you with that as we continue on our saturday flow of programs and podcasts i'm mike of new york hope you enjoy your day and remember always 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 remember we're here to try and just bring things out that aren't normally covered in normal radio or television or other podcast broadcasts because it just needs to come out. Yeah. So the Biden administration has said that regarding domestic oil production, that there are 9,000 leases that have yet to be used, that uh, production is near record levels. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats have called for this Russian uh, ban on Russian oil. Does industry have some responsibility at some point to increase production on their own? Or what would you like the Biden administration to do in that well, President Biden and the Biden White House's talking points on energy are both inane and contradictory. Uh, the Biden White House maintains that, that decreasing supply does not impact price. If you look at how Joe Biden started 
his presidency, he started it with a war on U.S. oil and gas. You know, President Biden tried to say this week, the increase in gas prices is due to Putin. I understand the Russians are the favorite talking point for Democrats. We spent four years under Trump hearing Democrats say Russia, 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 and now the Biden White House wants to say all of the disaster of inflation, that's Russia's fault too. The one problem is the facts. On day one as president, Joe Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He killed 11,000 high-paying jobs, including 8,000 union jobs. On day one, he froze, he halted all new leases on federal lands, both onshore and offshore. And shortly thereafter, he halted development of Anwar, the incredibly uh, rich, small portion of Alaska that has vast petroleum reserves. Not only that, he unleashed federal regulators to descend like locusts on oil and gas producers in the United States. And the results were exactly what they intended, which is U.S. production went down. In 2019, America became energy independence, thanks to common sense principles enacted with a Republican Congress and under President Trump, we were energy independent and a net energy exporter. Last year, in, under 2021, we lost that status. We are now a net energy importer thanks to the disaster of the Biden energy policies as the rig count plummeted, our production plummeted, and when supply drops, prices skyrocket before Putin ever invaded Ukraine. Gasoline prices in the United States had risen 48%. And their latest talking point is there's all these wonderful permits that just the oil companies, for whatever reason, don't want to drill upon. Now, I understand that the White House's talking points are written by an 18-year-old intern who's taking freshman socialism. But it would be good to have someone who's actually worked in the private sector and has some awareness of how energy is produced. Energy producers will drill for oil and gas wherever it is profitable, wherever it is viable. Many of those permits are not being drilled because if you've got a natural gas well that you're trying to drill, you have to have a pipeline to carry the gas from the well to, to its end users. And the Biden administration is also freezing pipelines. You've got to have an environment where those resources can be profitably developed. I'll give you something Joe Biden could do today to both hurt Russia and affect prices. There are six applications pending right now in the Biden administration to export liquid natural gas. They're sitting on all six of them. At the State of the Union, I pulled Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, aside and said, Tony, if you want to do something to really hurt Putin, tomorrow Biden should go on national television and approve all six and have the Europeans start signing long-term energy contracts with American producers instead of Russia. There is nothing we could do that would more fundamentally weaken Putin's standing at home and limit his ability to wage war than cut off the revenue he makes from selling oil and natural gas to Europe and others. Let me give an example in my state. My state. We were producing 1.5 million barrels a day. Just a little while ago, 1.5 million barrels a day. We're down to 1.1 million barrels a day. That's just for North Dakota. That's 400,000 barrels a day that we don't have because of all the restrictions, the regulatory burdens, all the things that Senator Cruz just talked about, okay? And that's just one state. Now apply that to Texas and New Mexico, Alaska. You know, so clearly without all these restrictions and regulations, we could be, you know, 
take the handcuffs off, we can produce a lot more gas and oil. Or how about the fact that we're flaring gas? In my state right now, we have stranded natural gas that we have to flare because we can't get the gathering systems and the permits to get that to market or the LNG facilities. All these things have an impact right now as well as in the medium and longer term. How it defies common sense that at a time with energy prices spiking, $4.25 a gallon is the average today, and it's going up here at home. Our allies need oil and gas. Instead of saying, hey, let's empower American ingenuity to produce this oil and gas here where we have the best environmental stewardship in the country, and instead he's going around to Maduro in Venezuela or Iran or anywhere else. I mean, it's unbelievable. So that's what we're saying. That's what the American people know should be done right now. It's common sense. The Biden administration needs to change course and let's get going on producing oil and gas, producing energy in this country. Let me take it. Wait, before you do that, let me take You guys are smarter than this, okay? I know you are. I really know you are. I can't believe you let them get away with that kind of baloney that they're peddling. I'm going to use just one narrow part of it that the American people will understand. Prior to... Uh, the uh, Ukrainian war last in the last two weeks in February, we took we there were zero Russian oil came in. They they shut the, the private sector shut it off themselves said we're not going to do it. Prior to that, we were bringing in 600,000 uh, 600, uh, barrels a day from Russia into the United States of America. Prior to them cutting it off in February, I went up as did my friends here and watched. Biden gets sworn in on the front steps. An hour later, he walked into the president's room. He took his papers and started signing executive orders. And one of me was, he shut down the Keystone Pipeline. 700,000 gallons a day. Would you rather have, excuse me, 700,000 barrels a day. Would you rather have 600,000 come in from Russia that you're paying Russian for, getting them rich, and, and or would you rather have 700,000 uh, barrels a day coming in from Canada and having our workers uh, be employed by that. This is outrageous, absolutely outrageous for them to try to point the finger and say, oh, this is somebody else's fault. It's the Biden administration's fault. You guys are smarter than this. I know you are. Let me, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, add, jump on this uh, pile there because it's actually really important. First, uh, I agree with Ted on the, you know, uh, high school intern on these talking points. Um, so actually, by the way, when you look at leases, I would love it if you guys looked at where the vast majority of federal leases in the first year of the Biden administration went to, over half went to one state. My state, his state, his state, no, New Mexico. Hmm, Secretary of Interior from New Mexico, you might wanna look into that one, very interesting to me. But the way it works, and the White House should know it, but maybe they don't. You issue a lease, and then there's still tons more permits and requirements that you have to get from the federal government. It's not just one lease, and it's all good. And on almost every one of these in Alaska, we have to get permission to build what's called an ice road, because as John Hovind's saying, we have these super high environmental standards. Every move, we have to get permission and permitted on federal lands, and they are blocking it. In year one, this administration has issued 22 executive orders or executive actions solely focused on Alaska. 22. Could you imagine if Joe Biden were still a senator and a Republican administration came in 
and issued in year one 22 executive orders focused on puny little Delaware, he would be on the floor raising hell every day. This is exactly what they're doing. They are nickel and diming our resource development sector, our energy sector, to try to get them to stop producing. And they've been successful. And my state, unfortunately, has been ground zero. See it almost every day. Thank <laughs> you.